0: Hello and welcome all of my artists, art lovers, and creatives of all kinds. This is Raven's Fine Art. My name is Raven and today we are going to be moving on to Chapter 2 of Christopher Lloyd's awesome book, Picasso and the Art of Drawing. We are going to be talking about Picasso's blue period and how important France was to Picasso's artistic development. I misspoke in the earliest part of the podcast. I said Spain twice when I didn't mean to. What I meant was that While France was the hub and the center of the artistic world, Spain also was an important center. So keep that in mind if you hear that little verbal typo that's what I meant to say. So stay tuned. All right, so by this time in history, Paris was where it was at in the art world. You had your impressionist movement, and then you had your important artists of the Post-Impressionism movement. Um, so Spain was definitely the hub where all artists wanted to get to, and Picasso was no exception. Um, but Spain was also um, also held its own as an art center. Maybe not the art center, but an important art center. You had the avant-garde. Um, who stood outside the official sanctioned art of the Real Academia de Bellas Artes de San Fernando in Madrid. Um, You had artists like El Greco, Velazquez, and Goya. So they had garnered uh, significant respect in Paris um, because of this new wave of artists who were going against the grain because that was what impressionists were about. Um, They were about doing art in a new and fresh way. So anyone else who was doing that was really respected. And Spain had, um, like I just mentioned, um, an avant-garde movement that was very significant. So definitely, although Paris was the center where everything was happening, Spain was um, also a, an, an important hub. So Picasso was going back and forth from his homeland to Paris. He had visited three different times with various friends, um, checking out the art world, making friends. And as I spoke about last week, that was one of Picasso's strengths is making strategic friendships and thinking strategically about his career. So he was making some important connections in Paris and he was going back and forth um, from Spain to Paris until around 1904 April of 1904 when he settled there permanently. So during this time, Picasso was definitely broke. He didn't have any money. And he was depending upon his friends. And as I said, he was the type of person who had strategic friendships. So he had um, a dealer friend who was a dealer of Spanish art. His name was Pere Manach. And that connection led him to two Parisian dealers. One was Berthe Wheel, she had a small gallery um and there was also uh someone who had a larger gallery uh, Ambrose Villard. um and that is who he ended up showing with um so that first exhibition was really important um because that was his first major exhibition in Paris and now imagine how exciting that would be as a young man as a young artist going from your homeland. You know, you want to get to the center of where everything is happening, but at the same time, you know, you're new and you're getting established. Um, so having this opportunity was really important. So Picasso had arrived in Paris um, that year. This was, two, this was 1901. And he had arrived in Paris in May of that year and imagine if you're moving countries obviously or traveling in general you can't carry a lot of stuff obviously so he only had a few pieces that were worthy of being shown and the exhibition was already scheduled to take place on june 24th so imagine this is your first major opportunity you're in the hub of where everything is at you've made this important connection you have an exhibition scheduled in a month <laughs> and you've got no work. So, what I love about Picasso is that he met the deadline. That's what I'm talking about. Imagine how much work he had to put in to have enough pieces to exhibit. And he had a month to get that done and he actually got it done. So, that is badass in my opinion. And I think it's awesome so the exhibition was a success Um, it was a critical success and it was an economic and commercial success so he sold a lot he had a bunch of drawings and paintings that he had exhibited Um, but he was still broke so and this is a reality of, of really any entrepreneurial venture so it may look like from the outside that you're wheeling and dealing and certainly this was a very important coup for him having his first major exhibition, it wasn't a flop. It was quite the opposite. It was a raging success, but still, I mean, that's not enough to live on. So he had enough money for a little while, but you know, he was still broke. (laughs) So basically that's the position that he was in. And I really love this quote on page 36. So uh, a critic who was writing about the show had this to say about Picasso. He said, Picasso's passionate surge forwards has not yet left him with the leisure to forge a personal style. His personality is embodied in this passion, this youthful, impetuous spontaneity. The danger lies in this very impetuosity, which could easily lead to facile virtuosity and easy success. That would be profoundly regrettable since we are in the presence of such brilliant virility. Okay. So that is an important quote because basically what the critic is saying is that okay, obviously this dude has talent, he's got passion, he has a voice, but he because he's early on in his career, he doesn't he doesn't yet have the leisure of a personal style and that's what's so important to um, think about is that in order to develop your own personal style, you have to have time. You have to have leisure time. You have to not be considering financial, um, considerations in the very beginning in order to create a style. Otherwise, if you're just focusing on the money, um, because you need it to survive, you're not going to have the, the leisure of developing a style because you're just going to be trying to feed yourself. You're going to be trying to put food on the table. And so that's not where you want to be early on in your career. So he seemed to have been reading Picasso's mind because Picasso right after this is, is when the blue period was basically starting. So the blue period dates from the end of 1901 up until 1904. So, what's important about the blue period is that at this time, I mean, Picasso was strategic, so he knew that he hadn't yet found it. He was on to something, obviously. He had this great first exhibition in Paris, um, but he needed to find himself. And so what happened is in 1904, and this is a quote from page 36, he observed people living on the margins of society, often in great poverty and experiencing terrible levels of degradation. So like in any major city, you have you know rampant poverty along with rampant success. So Picasso could, in a sense, relate to these people And a lot of these people were like living hand to mouth. They were basically the equivalent of circus performers. They were, you know, performing and then they'd move on to the next town. They were living, you know, in very squalid conditions. So in a sense, he really related to them because they were suffering for their art as he was his. Um, So when he saw these people and they were often families, you know, traveling together, groups of friends. Um, There were also just your average, like people who maybe had uh, mental illness or people who had some kind of physical disability like blindness, Um, just people who were suffering from poverty from various reasons. So he connected with this and the blue period is filled with um, people in various stages of suffering but he made something beautiful out of the suffering. So I wanted to read this quote on page 38 that summarizes the style of the Blue Period. Works of the Blue Period deal in generalities and not in particulars, though such scenes were certainly part of everyday life in Barcelona and Paris. What is most apparent in these works is how quickly a young artist is maturing The style is unified by strong contours and broad areas of color dominated by a range of blues. The figures are boldly, even somewhat clumsily modeled, and the folds of the garments appear to be almost sculpted. The compositions give the impression of being labored, often with many pentimenti visible, and several are deliberately left unfinished. The formal qualities of these works come from Gauguin, But the emotional tenor is derived from Van Gogh. The monumentality of the figures positioned in the front plane gives them an immediate presence and imbues them with a profound dignity that is tantamount to symbolism. In no drawing is this more apparent than the embrace, a delicately modeled pastel. With its cool flesh tones seen against the soft blue and pink the bed in the background, it exudes a sense of great calm. So what we have going on here in the blue period, so you have these suffering figures, but you have the bodies that are clumsily modeled against this beautiful soft pink and blue background, mostly with blues. So you kind of have the elevation and the beautification of great profound suffering. And it wasn't just the suffering of these individuals, but it was talking about a larger suffering of poverty in general. So this is really significant because this was his first major statement coming right after his first successful exhibition. Um, so not only the these itinerant performers and their poverty was a subject, but the, actually the biggest impact on the blue period is the death of his close friend. So now we're getting into some drama. So he had this friend uh, who was uh, in love with this woman named Germaine Gargalo, and they had this torrid affair, but she was not really into it. Um, and so this caused this friend of Picasso's great suffering to the point where he tried to kill her He thought that he had shot her, um, but he had missed. (laughs) And thinking that he had shot her, he shot himself dead. So it's kind of like a, a squalid Romeo and Juliet kind of thing, except not great. So this really saddened Picasso, although he ended up dating this woman, which is, you know, messy, messy, messy. But in any case, Uh, These thoughts of death along with these thoughts of poverty got Picasso thinking on a deeper level and this showed up in his work. So this really speaks to the importance of finding your style, not just artistically, like how you go about laying down your paints or whatever your, your artistic medium is, but going beneath that and finding a depth and a purpose and a connection to larger themes. So he was dealing with poverty and death, but your influences, my influences are going to be different. So when you think about what your own purpose as an artist is going to be, think about what moves you, what affects you deeply. What is your level of authority? For example, um, have you been adopted? For example, um, have you, uh, grown up in a country outside the, one you were born in, um, are you multilingual? Um, did you grow up in poverty? Did you grow up in wealth? Were you abused? Um, did you grow up with a single parent? Um, that is your authority in this life. And so whatever your art is, it's going to come from that foundation. So talking about my own influences, um, and how they might either now or in the future, show up in my artwork, one of them is racial inequality. Um, So obviously as a person of color, I have experiences that are going to be outliers um, compared to the majority culture. So I have a perspective that is unique, um, not unique to me, obviously other people of color have same or similar experiences, um, but they're unique to me in the sense that I see it through my own lens. Now I am not someone who likes to do struggle art. Um, I think a lot of people that do art about racial inequality, um, depict the suffering, um, of racism in a very poignant and beautiful way, but that's not really what I want to do. Um, I come from a different perspective. I would rather paint what I want rather than paint what I don't want. So I tend to focus on harmony, racial harmony um, and racial equality rather than inequality. So that's where I'm coming from. Another theme that moves me is animal suffering. So this has kind of been off and on for me, kind of looking at the way factory farm animals are treated. Um, It took a long time for me to basically give up meat and i kind of started and stopped many times right now I'm in a period of being on (laughs) I don't label myself as a vegan because I don't like labels and I don't like associating with any group that takes on this kind of like religious fervor because I don't I just don't like that Um, but the plight of factory farm animals really touches me and breaks my heart especially when I think about cows and how innocent and sweet that they are and think about them being separated from their, from their young. And and that in particular, that just the idea of how much the mother cows suffer and they do, they try to follow their calves. When the calves are removed from them, they bellow and they howl and they scream and they cry and they can't talk. So they can't, uh, you know, curse out the people who are doing this to them. All they can do is suffer. And to think that we're eating the meat and drinking the milk of these beautiful, gentle, suffering animals is heartbreaking to me. So it's something that I don't want to participate in. It hasn't shown up in my art thus far, but I know that it will. It's just something that's too new and too raw right now. But it really kind of reminds me of slavery and one of the one of the many you know, one of many horrors of slavery is the, was the same thing, the separation of mothers from their children and how horrific that is to do that to somebody and it's unforgivable. Um, and it touches me deeply. So anything that touches you deeply can and should, I believe, show up in your artwork. Now, as far as style, I really like a surreal, um, depiction uh, rather than strictly realistic. And I love art that depicts a narrative. I like it when you look at the art and you know that there's a story there, um, but it's not like, I don't like preachy type of art. So I, I would rather the viewer kind of piece it together for themselves in their own unique way, because in that way, they get to be the artist as well, because they are putting the pieces of the image together and they're forming a story in their own hearts that resonates with them. So when you're coming up with your own style, the way Picasso did in his blue period, think about what moves you, okay? What makes you cry? What makes you angry? What makes you happy? What do you wish for? What kind of world do you wanna live in? What are you afraid of? What makes you want to be friends with somebody? And what immediately turns you off about somebody? What subject matter engrosses you for hours and why? So these are the kind of questions that you want to be asking yourself and you want to answer for yourself. And I'm a big believer in journaling. I'm a big believer in meditation. Um, There's no I don't believe there are any substitutes for those two practices in terms of getting to know yourself as an artist. Um, So think about those questions if you're still searching for your style. there are a lot of people who say, you know, um, your style just comes upon you and so on and so forth. And that's true, but I don't believe in just passively waiting for a style. I think you can do things proactively to generate your own style and your own purpose. And I believe that asking yourself the questions that I just went through and then meditating and journaling about it is the fast track. Um, and not fast in terms of it's going to happen right then and there, but it's better than sitting around waiting. <laughs> and it's certainly better than just imitating other people. All right, so what are our takeaways from this chapter of the book? Again, this is Christopher Lloyd's book, Picasso and the Art of Drawing. We, we just went through chapter two of the Blue Period. So takeaways from this week. A, be proud of where you come from, but branch out. So. Although Picasso was from Spain and Spain was an important hub, he wasn't content to just live and die where he was born. He wanted to be where the action was at. But nevertheless, he remained a Spaniard at heart. Um, And he was always, as we'll talk about in future chapters, more himself whenever he would go back home. So he was a Spaniard, but he wanted to be where the action was. Uh, B, study your influences, but go beyond them. So uh, one of the reasons for Picasso's visits to Paris outside of just being where the action was is to get to know the the movers and shakers that he admired at the time, which I had mentioned before, which were Cezanne, Gauguin and Van Gogh. And at that time, because those artists were not super respected yet, um, they were not being hung in museums and so forth. So, he had to make a special effort to see the people and the dealers and private collections that had their work. Um, so he studied their influence, but he did not just want to be a copy of an impressionist. So study your influences but go beyond them. C. Be professional, okay? Meet your deadlines no matter what. And be friends with people who are friendly to your work. So Picasso did not just show up in Paris and, and hope for the best and with his fingers crossed. No, he had, you know, connections with dealers. He had the the Spanish art dealer connection, which led him to the Parisian dealers, um, which led to his first exhibition. And when he got his opportunity, key point, he did not let his new dealer down, although he only had a month, maybe a month and a half to get his work together. he showed up for himself and for his dealer. He was a professional. All right, next, D, you need leisure to find your style. It cannot be rushed. Okay, so after his first successful exhibition, he still didn't quite have his style. So he needed time. He needed that period between 1901 and 1904 to experience some stuff, to have some heartbreaks to see the suffering of the world, almost like Buddha, like when Buddha left the palace and he went out and saw the suffering of the world, that affected him profoundly. So this is Picasso out on his own, trying to be an artist, you know, didn't have any money. He's facing some of the, you know, tough aspects of life right up front and that affected him deeply and it showed up in his work. So he gave himself that time to establish his style. Next, he went within. So go within and analyze yourself, your circumstances, your experiences, your emotions, and your own place in history. So that is a very significant takeaway from this week. In order to find your own style, it's not gonna come from outside, it's gonna come from the inside. So look at yourself, your circumstances, your work experiences, your relationship experiences, Um, what you've seen, what you've traveled, what you've read, all of that is a part of you and can show up in your art. And lastly, and I think most importantly, you don't need to panic about your style because it does not have to be forever. So the blue period, as I mentioned before, spanned from 1901 to 1904. So He didn't have to stick with this forever. He was not stuck. (laughs) Like all I can do is, is paint suffering people in blue for the rest of my life. No, 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 no. This was an important period in his artistic life, but it was not the end all be all. So when you are searching for your style, don't think that this is it. It's going to evolve and it must evolve for you to be a thriving artist. All right. So thank you for joining me on my journey through this book and through the work of Picasso. We are learning from a master, someone who was successful both critically and commercially. And we are going to be continuing on in the journey next week. So until then, have a beautiful day and have a wonderful, productive week. Bye-bye.